Hello and welcome to Season 3, Episode 8 of the Wealthier Together podcast. During this podcast, I will be speaking with Raquel Younglove, and we're going to go over a couple of ways you can optimize your brain health and resolve conflict. Raquel Younglove has been the founder and CEO of three different businesses in the health and wellness industry over the last 24 years. She specializes in optimization of the brain for peak performance in all things life and is a coach, speaker, and a media guest. Raquel provides brain optimization services with a non-traditional form of neurofeedback and is a certified neurooptimal neurofeedback trainer and representative. She offers sessions locally in her Colorado Springs office, as well as providing at-home rentals and support for sales to clients and businesses worldwide. She is one of less than 30 representatives in over 14 countries for NeuroOptimal. Additionally, Raquel is a speaker and coach in the areas she is passionate about and has found to bring wholeness to not only her life, but those she shares her wisdom and knowledge with. She helps bring individuals from anger, frustration, loneliness, heartache, disconnect, and self-sabotage to clarity and understanding of self and others. Raquel is certified as a strategic intervention and an advanced relationship coach through Robbins Mundane's Strategic Intervention, as well as being certified as an integrative wellness and life coach through the Integrative Wellness Academy and is also a member of the Association for Conflict Resolution. Raquel helps clients move from a place of struggle, disconnect, and conflict within themselves and in relationship with others to a place of empowerment, positive communication, and action steps that take them towards what they want to achieve. She has training, yes, but more importantly, she has a lifetime of personal experience that no classroom can teach. No matter the trial or tribulation, She doesn't see challenges as obstacles, but only opportunities to learn and grow and become better as a result of whatever life brings. Raquel has spent 26 years determined to gain insight into human nature, what makes us tick and what does not, what we can expect from others and what we can only expect from ourselves. She provides tried and true, simple and effective solutions that take individuals from combat to connection. She has had clients come for services from over 32 states and three different countries for her services. She has a conviction that life is not just to be survived, but that we can thrive no matter what adversity crosses our path. She helps individuals, couples, and families move from being adversaries and opposing forces to bringing out the best in each other, and thus forming bonds deeper than most of us could ever could have ever dreamed of. She helps individuals understand their uniqueness and that of those around them to then formulate strategies that help break through the barriers standing in the way of mental, emotional, physical, and relational health. When Raquel is not helping others, she enjoys time with her son, working out, creating new adventures, and special moments. She also enjoys traveling, reading, camping, and glamping, and always, always learning. So welcome, Raquel. How are you doing this morning? Hi, Dr. Blessing. I'm doing well. Thank you. How are you? I am doing well. So can you tell us a little bit more about your story? Like, who are you? Why why do you do what you're doing? Sure. So I guess just to 
to go way back, as is unfortunately pretty common um, for a lot of us. I am a child of divorce. My parents divorced when I was eight. There was a lot of conflict in that my entire childhood and even into adulthood. And I was always, I guess no matter what, I still always had the conviction that I just knew I could be happy, that no matter what's going on with the people around you, we can still create our own world. So I, I just automatically, you know, self-development, self-improvement has just always been a huge part of who I am. And it's just been years and years of study of observing the people around us to, to how do we get to where we get? Um, how is it that, you know, love goes bad, relationship goes bad, there's conflict, people can't communicate, they can't understand each other. And it just goes from love to bad to worse to worse. And um, every, you know, people become opposing forces instead of teams and tribes that work together. So there was that aspect and I've, you know, I've always been incredibly passionate about health and wellness. Um, in 48, my back was broken a car accident when I was 15. When I was 21, I underwent a back surgery that was a huge failure. For the last 27 years, I've got a hole in my spine and my low back at three levels where a fusion failed. And I've got three out of six broken screws. And so there's, you know, there's the, the determination and mindset to over, overcome that and how can you still have a quality life in spite of that. So there, there's all those things that have just created such a, a mental emotional determination of how can I create a good life and a good world in spite of adversities, obstacles, or things going on with other people or so-called odds against me physically and just a, a strong determination. In, in, in that, uh, throughout that journey, um, I kept having people tell me that I had a gift with, in my early 20s, I had people telling me that I had a gift in helping people shift their perspective, change their mindset. I'm kind of a rural girl, so I, 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 that was hard to embrace. And so I ended up, I, I was also told that if I, ever had, if, I, if I ever had a child, I'd be paralyzed because of my back. So that was out the window too. And so I was getting out my nurturing by a part of my journey being rescuing shy traumatized wolves for about 17 years. I ended up living off grid, camping for four years, no running water, just a, a wild little journey, but just such a passion for service and helping. And eventually one day I woke up and I thought, I recognized, I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> you, you do have a gift of helping and you're kind of out here with animals I get, and just the heart to serve. It's like, I do need to help more people. It was the most traumatized, shy wolves that I worked with, which is interesting because now a huge heart, part of my practice, a major portion of my practice with clients is with trauma. And so it's about meeting people where they're at, helping them in bite-sized pieces that works for them. When I finally accepted that I was supposed to uh, get out there and help people more, um, is when I came across the brain work. And when I learned of it, it was just kind of a fluke that I learned of it. But the minute I heard of it, it just resonated of, oh my gosh, with the gifts and skills that I have, the knowledge, insight, wisdom, but then you also couple it with 
optimizing the brain and getting out of, out of trauma pathways, this could be such a powerful pairing. And so I ended up doing sessions. I had lost five loved ones in five months time. And I was still running my business and everything, but that extreme light and I, I don't light and, um, I don't know, almost like a lightness in your spirit and this ability to naturally soar. I was still, I was kind of trudging through. It was a struggle. And so needless to say, I tried the sessions and when I was done, I ended up saying it was the best gift I'd ever given myself, the best thing I'd ever spent my money on. And so then I started working with the brain and working with clients and I've been uh, working with brain optimization for 13 years. I work with veterans, I work with children and, and um, brain injury. Um, you know, there's a, a focus, um, attention, anxiety, all these different things. And so it's just all kind of come full circle. I guess one of the other things that, that happened out of that is at first the, the coaching was kind of intermingled in the brain work. But as, as I worked with more and more people, what I started to recognize was that as the brain is optimized and people come to a new state of being, all of a sudden, you know, we're all working off of what the environment we've known or, you know, the information we know. But when the brain becomes optimized and all of a sudden it's like, whoa, I'm not going to respond negative or angry or be reactive like that anymore. I saw clients be like, okay, I'm not going to do that anymore, but what do I do then? And so that's when it also became, you know, and it was, it was a passion and a desire of mine, but I just recognized almost it was like a gap um, where the coaching fills in for, to help bring that wholeness is that as the person evolves, it's to then give them tools, skills, and strategy to start learning to connect in a positive way or communicate in a positive way or you know, help them identify how they can after, go after goals and dreams and truly recognize they're the creator of their own reality. And here I am. <laughs> <laughs> in a nutshell. <laughs> I think that's really important that you mentioned kind of like your story, because a lot of people don't take into account the fact that experiences that you go through, if you embrace them and decide to learn from them, instead of becoming bitter and kind of isolating yourself, it can help you help others. And so I really like the way that kind of your story comes around full, um, full circle. And now you're using those experiences and then your natural gifts and talents to help others optimize their, well, change their mindset, shift their perspective, and then optimize their brain. I don't think people make that connection with the brain optimization and the fact that it plays a huge role in mindset. So I think that that's good. You've tied kind of the mind and the body into that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I guess actually probably a pretty important piece that I forgot, I, you know, really just to say, also, I recognize the struggle. I didn't, life didn't come to me all, you know, the, the, I guess I would say there were things against me. And so it's always been, I always have said, you can learn from negative as well as positive, even from negative, you can learn, oh, wow, I don't, that's how I don't want to be or what I don't want to be. And so then you explore, well, what do I want to be then? And so I, you know, after 
just the experience of my childhood, I thought I will never have a child of divorce. Well, I did end up getting married and having a child and I ended just blessed beyond measure. I had one of the easiest pregnancies ever and my son is now 11 and does amazing and I made it through and, but sadly the, the marriage was, was not healthy for me. I needed to get out. And next thing you know, I found myself in this thing where there's conflict as well. And I had, it just put me into even a higher gear to say, there is no way this can be my son's life. I, I, and, and I think one of the biggest, I guess there's been a lot of big lessons in my life, but one of the biggest ones was finally getting it through my head. We cannot change the people around us. We're not going to, we can't change how they're going to respond or try to control what they say or how they do certain things really our only power, but yet the most incredible power ever is within us. And so I was so determined, how can I make it so we can get along? How can we make it so that I don't trigger him or I don't whatever? And that wasn't like tiptoeing around him, but it was learning healthy communication to where I could help de-escalate de things, keep us both calm, have him respect me saying, deep breaths, deep breaths, it's okay. <laughs> and and uh, me acknowledging what he was, he his perspective was, and then being able to state mine and then say, hey, we're on the same team. Let's just you know, it's all for the greater good of our son. Let's come up with a solution and we're, let's not be adversaries. And, and now we get along absolutely amazing. So, you know, just a ton of heartache and pain and trial and tribulation there, but an intense determination to say, no, I don't believe it has to stay this way. And I don't think he changed, but I learned how to take more control and speak and healthier ways. I mean, it was for my good and every, every relationship I come across that now, you know, my life is a better quality and it, and it definitely changed our world and then the life of my son. And so that's where I have such a passion to help parents and their kids and couples and, and all of that. Um, so, and, and yeah, it is, it is the mind and it is what we focus on and it is recognizing that we can create what we want and, and the brain optimization comes in where we get stuck. We get stuck from trauma. We get struck, stuck from these past experiences that were really challenging. And the, the brain is, thinks it needs to protect us and hold us there um, to get us through today. And that's where the brain optimization basically steps in and says, no, wait a minute, look at the present moment. There's a better way we can handle this. So it kind of helps it helps set the brain up for peak performance. So then we can implement all these things more easily and stay in that positive place instead of possibly being stuck so strongly in, in the pathways and connections of the past. That's really true. And it takes a lot of work to rework those pathways. Like you were saying, like with your communication before you made that decision that I'm going to, that you were going to change the way you viewed, um, the way you communicated with your um, ex, just of course for the better, better of your son but I have noticed and I'm not a counselor but I've noticed that when people get into when people have divorces or just in general people always want to change the other person no one ever wants to take responsibility for their part 
I did a pre- presentation a while back and I was talking about how to, someone asked a question about work-life balance and what do you do when all of your coworkers are toxic? And I was like, you can't control them. The only thing you can do is shift your personal perspective or change what you do or leave the job. And right. the person was not thrilled yeah. <laughs> with my answer. And I was like, you cannot change another human being. I know. Yeah. You can't. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's true. And, and I mean, and that was the ironic thing to me that I say to, you know, that I share with my clients is I, I just have an automatic response system of taking responsibility. Like one of the things I've had to battle is being more responsible for others than they were for themselves. That was a huge growth point in my journey. And so what's so bizarre is even a person such as myself who automatically is saying, what's my part in this? What's my part in this? What's my part? I still went through that period where it's like, well, if he would just this and he would just that. And so it's not to say, it's just like an automatic response system. And we're seeing where we wish they would do it different. But it's like, the beautiful thing is, is if you just focus inside instead and say, where, what can I learn? Where can I grow? When you start to change your behavior, it automatically has a ripple effect. If you're not going to be reactive and emotional and, you know, defensive and all this with that other person, they can't fight with you unless you fight with them. So worst case, they're standing there mad alone, but then you didn't become part of a problem, which then means you can also see the problem more clearly rather than it being muddled because everybody went into this crazy. That's true. And one thing you mentioned is taking time and being intentional. In our society, as we see in all areas, everyone is like just triggered by any little thing. Anyone that can trigger you by just saying one or two words or whatever, that person has control over you. And one of the hardest things for, um, especially in personal development, one of the hardest things to do is to control your emotions and not allow them to drive you wild and to react at every little thing because everything doesn't need a reaction. Right. And so I think in general, because people do not communicate well, we revert to past hurts or wounds from childhood, like automatically. No, people were not aware of it. It just like happens and then people will respond. But what you're saying is people need to be intentional. They need to recognize you help them identify those patterns so they can shift it and then not allow their emotions or other people to trigger them for, for no apparent reason. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And it's, it's so freeing and it brings so much health to your life in every way. Very true. And I can see like a lot of people, there are a lot of people that are suffering from all these different emotional issues. And I think it's because of unexamined patterns from childhood that either they will not face, don't want to face, or don't know that it's something to be addressed. And so I think that, again, that it's really important. I really in, like what you're doing in helping people kind of refor- make those reframes and then also optimize their brains, which affects their physical health. So I think that's really good. So what are some ways that listeners can optimize their brains for peak performance, whether it's conflict resolution, internal conflict, whatever it is, what are like one or two things that they can do today to help them do that? One or two things. Let me see. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, the first thing that comes to mind is quiet time. This, 
you know, our information is coming in so fast and furious that the brain just hasn't even evolved at a level to be able to keep up with us being on technology all the time. And so, you know, to turn off the TV, to turn off the radio, turn off the music, put the cell phone down, close the computer. And, you know, we all, I mean, I suspect most all of us hear about med meditation and the value of that. And I agree wholeheartedly, but I will also say we're all busy. And as much as I fit the vast majority of everything in every day, I don't meditate every day. But to just have quiet so our brain doesn't constantly have information coming in and inundating it can make a world of a difference, whether it's, I mean, I even recommend, you know, at the dinner table, quiet time, connecting. If quiet time is at least just taking a walk and, and not having the headphones on and not having to learn something or not being, you know, talking to somebody on the phone, it's an opportunity for the brain to kind of organize itself and quiet down and get rid of some of the clutter, um, which affects our entire well-being. If we're more clear, again, if you want to then take it to the relationship, whether it's relationship or job performance, school performance, having that time is going to help us be more present in whatever we're doing and therefore do a better job and feel more fulfilled about the outcomes. So, you know, I would say the quiet time and even our nutrition is really important for brain nutrition. Even as much as I do with my own self-care and I do sessions, the brain sessions and whatnot, the nutrition is still completely critical. And if, if our brain isn't getting nutrients to help it function, we're going to be emotional. We're going to have a hard time focusing. We're going to struggle in our job, relationships, school. And just so even some simple ideas or tips on that are our leafy green veggies or like kale, spinach, broccoli, fish like tuna and salmon or nuts. It's funny, um, they talk about walnuts a lot. And ironically, walnuts even kind of look like the brain, mm -hmm. brain food. So I always think that's kind of, kind of interesting. And then even our berries, strawberries, blueberries, raspberries can just help give our brain the fuel it needs so we, we can function better. Those are good tips. Quiet time. This is, and I definitely understand because it takes me, my brain is always going 100 miles per hour regardless of the time of day. But a lot of people have this fear of sitting alone with their thoughts because I've suggested this suggested this to some clients they're like well I always feel distracted and I'm like well unplug just unplug everything it doesn't have to be for a week do it four hours something manageable that you can do and then you know lengthen the time but people have such difficulty sitting alone with themselves without any distractions because we have programmed ourselves to always be on either the cell phone like you were saying talking to someone whatever it is it, well, it's exactly true. And, and that's where I always, I, I always say bite-sized pieces. You mm -hmm. know, I'm always, always of the focus of let's set you up for success. You set you up for success. So don't jump in saying an hour or even a half an hour, even if it's, if you're really not used to it at all, then give yourself 10 minutes. And, and again, I mean, even meditation can be active meditation 
for me, lots of times it's when I'm working out. I'm just in the quiet of my own headspace, you know, or it could be, again, while you're walking or even while you're doing the dishes. And so I think if, you know, if we don't put our, it's, it's to not be too rigid mm-hmm. so that things aren't sustainable or that we are dreading it. But if we can, I, if we, the more we tap into ourselves and, and do things realistically in ways that can work with who we are and other things we need to do, then it doesn't feel like something that's a drudgery or that we're hating doing or that it's impossible if we're trying to do it too long. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing I would say is to, I always, I tell clients, if you, you know, it's great to practice the quiet mind, but if your mind's just busy, then just become an observer. So put, act like you're sitting up in the bleachers and you're just watching these thoughts go all around, but let them flow through instead of getting attached to all of them. So it's not to say you have to shut your mind off and don't frustrate yourself or make yourself anxious that way, but just become an observer and let it flow through rather than like you have to be an active participant of everything that's flying through it. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. So you mentioned your non-traditional neurofeedback services. So what is that and why is it non-traditional? So the, I've evolved with the technology over the, last, over the last 13 years. The technology that I used before, because I work with so many people with trauma, I found it to be missing in working with the central nervous system in the aspect of the fight or flight freeze response for people that have been through trauma, I would see the brain mentally, emotionally, the clients would just do amazing. But if anything looked like that prior trauma, it was like physically their body was trying to talk their brain into being frightened. It's like your brain would say, no, I'm okay. I'm okay. But the body's like, no, emergency, emergency. So in evolving, I just found that as a missing link and I was searching and searching and is it more workouts? Is it getting the adrenaline out? All this stuff. And it still, it just wasn't hitting the mark. And so, you know, to the degree I thought I knew it needed to for, for more wholeness. And so in searching and seeking, I, I came across Neuroptimal, which is the non-traditional form of neural feedback I use now. And uh, it works, it, it, it is the mental, emotional, physical aspect of helping to bring us to the present moment peak performance. The difference between the neurofeedback that I use and traditional neurofeedback is most forms of working with the brain and, and traditional neurofeedback included, it's, there's a point where the practitioner is trying to influence the brain with frequencies saying, oh, you're anxious, let's change these frequencies so that now you're not. And also the client has to kind of catch themselves, change themselves. They're watching a video or they're, they've got a video game going. If they're thinking the right way, the Pac-Man stops moving. Um, or if they're thinking the wrong way, the Pac-Man stops moving or the, the movie stops playing. And so they're trying to figure out how to think the right way. Well, for people who are already frustrated because they can't focus or their mind's racing and all of these things, that can be even more frustrating. And it can also take up to 100 sessions and up to a year for clients to notice results. The form of neurofeedback I use, it's not client dependent and it's not practitioner dependent, meaning we, 
I, um, the practitioner is, has no influence on the brain. What's happening is the brain is observing itself. There's sensors placed on the scalp. There's earbuds playing relaxing nature music in the ears. And what happens is the sensors are reading the energy from the brain, sending it to the computer. The computer's observing, does this seem super overactive, underactive? If it is, then the only feedback to the brain is that there'll be like what clients refer to as like a little skip sound in the music. Mm -hmm. That's only influence. So there's no push. There's no manipulation. That little skip sound is just like an attention getter to the brain. Like if I right now go like this on my desk and you hear that, you'd be like, oh, what was that? So that skip sound is like an attention getter to the brain like that saying, look at yourself. Are you at peak performance in the present moment? Are you in a state of comfort? Is this the ideal place for you? Are you all over the place in these past triggers, worry, fear, anxiety, these different things. And if the brain recognizes it's not at peak performance, then it will start creating connections that will help bring it to comfort in the present moment. So it helps us get unstuck in that way. Another analogy I always use is like going down the highway, you hit that rumble strip and it's you're like, oh, get back in my lane. That's yeah. kind of what it's doing for the brain to help it come back to the present moment. So for me, that's, I just think, I wouldn't want anybody messing with my brain and trying to tell me that my set point is supposed to be the same as the person next to me. Cause I think we are all so unique and some people are more calm and some are more energetic. And, and so that's almost to say that, you know, that energetic person is, Oh my gosh, you're over the top. That's way too much. Well, maybe that's just beautifully and perfectly how they were designed to be versus me, you know, a little bit more quiet, whatever. And so to judge and say, oh, that's wrong for you. That's why this is happening. Our brain is the most, you know, infinite computer system on the planet. And quite honestly, I personally just want to get out of my own way. <laughs> it's like, let me get out of my own way. You observe me with your infinite intelligence and you bring me to the best version of me. Um, so that's what makes us different is there's just no no push, no influence. We're not trying to make everybody the same and, and thinking that that would be the right set point for anybody. That's really interesting. I never, I mean, I've heard of neurofeedback, but I didn't, haven't really studied it. I didn't realize that there was um, practitioner feedback. And like you were saying, people are uniquely made. So one person, let's say some people tend to be a tad bit more on the anxious side. The only thing is it depends on if, they're anxious outside of boundaries where it starts to affect their life. So all of our little quirks is what they are, make us who we are. And I think it's better to enable or provide an environment where, the, where our brains can reset themselves instead of having someone else kind of speaking into it. That sounds kind of manipulative to me, but that's just me. And I like how you mentioned that skip sound that occurs that feeds back to the brain. So it's kind of like a pattern disrupt. So if someone exactly. starts thinking negatively, the brain can recorrect itself. Because usually, when, let's say someone's having a good day and one bad thing happens. You know how people, I mean, the bad thing seems larger than, the good, than all the good that happened. And so the thing is, and we start to focus on that bad thing. But if someone comes or like if you're, you know, have a friend that's like, hey, but that's not so bad that person's input is a pattern disrupt, just the way like that skip is a pattern disrupt to the brain to say, hey, we're not gonna dwell on that. What 
are we doing now? Like you said, what are we doing or where are we now in the present? And I think that is a more effective for me, and I'm not an expert in it. I think that's a more effective way because the brain can self-correct. Absolutely. It can self-correct. Yeah. Yeah. So thanks for explaining that because I really probably need to look into it a little bit more. I never realized that's what neurofeedback was, but so how does intrapersonal conflict affect the brain? So usually we look at the relationships between others, but at the end of the day, our relationship with ourselves is really what impacts our relationship with others. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I love that question and it's, it's, um, it's a powerful question because the reality is, is for most all of us, I mean, most situations that intrapersonal conflict is lots of times created from our experience. And truth is a lot of that from the environment, from how the world is modeled around us when we're kids. Um, and so whether it's our sense of self-worth, whether it's how we respond to if we haven't, you know, if we uh, make a mistake or have an accident or how we're shown we should be critics of our body or all of those different things, our environment around us has taught us what to believe to a large degree about ourselves. And, and I, I guess just because I, I think we've got a lot of women, probably moms listening, you know, I'll give a really powerful example um, is just the fact that if we as a mom, if we're cutting our bodies down or we're, you know, talking about how we don't think we're good enough or we don't like this about us or we don't like that about us, that's what our girls and boys too, but that's what our girls are then observing about how to look at themselves or how to critique themselves. And that becomes their intrapersonal dialogue of evaluating themselves. And as we all know, then next thing you know, that's affecting our interpersonal relationships. And so, um, you know, I think that's where a lot of it begins, but I, 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 it's hard, bear with me here, it's hard for me not to try to, to share this, that us as parents to just try to be so aware that every way we act, react, and interact is showing our kids how to respond to the world around them. It's no different than, you know, if we drop something and we're like, oh, gosh, darn it, can't believe you did that or can't believe I did that. That's how our kids are going to learn to respond versus, you know, I used to, I, I was critiqued pretty hardly when I was a kid. And I, you know, I had that tendency towards a perfectionist. Of course, I'm never going to get there, but that was a, that was being pretty rough on yourself. And then my son comes along and knowing what I do about the brain, it was like, oh my gosh, I would never want him to do this to himself. And so for him, I started, I was like, I can't let him be hard on himself like that. I, I, you know, I just want him to be healthy and balanced. And, and so if I drop something to be like, Oh, silly mama, silly mama, silly mama. And what's so ironic, number one, it actually changed. That's just a prime example of how we can change our patterns. It changed it to where I now have so much more grace for myself 
But also now, you know, it's funny because then a few, you know, several years later, we were getting out of the car. You know, he must have been maybe seven or something. We're getting out of the car. Groceries fell out. A glass jar broke. And I go, oh, no. And he says, what? And I says, the spaghetti just splattered all over. He goes, oh, that's okay. Silly mama. We can just clean it up. And I thought, <laughs> ah, there it is. Like if, if he would have seen me, you know, being angry, frustrated, intolerant, as accidents happened along the way, that is how he would be living in his world. And so, and I, I guess we don't even have to focus on kids. If we think of that, even with adult, you know, partners, friends, whatever, we're constantly modeling options or examples of how to respond to things around us. So you can change your intrapersonal dialogue, but it's also to be really aware how we got there um, in, and it is going to, it's going to play a big part in interpersonal conflict because all those things are going to be triggers, sensitivities, intolerances. And, and so the more we can work to get healthy and balanced and accepting and loving to ourselves and those around us is going to be a big ripple effect to then our relationships being of better quality. That is very true. And it's really interesting how all of everyone's patterns go back to childhood. They do. I mean, and most of the triggers are things from childhood that have nothing to do with the person's partner, friend, or whoever they're having a disagreement with. If they say something, maybe it takes them back to who knows when, and then it triggers a response. And so like you mentioned earlier, I think it's important to, I don't think it's good to dwell, but you, people, especially if you're going to kind of reframe the way you talk to yourself, which is one of the big areas that most people have to work on, you have to understand the roots, what caused that, what is triggering those particular responses, what is triggering the negative self-worth or the negative talking to yourself. And like, I think it was funny how you mentioned your son was like, oh, we can clean that up, silly mama. Like, People think that kids don't notice things. They notice everything. (laughs) That's all I have to say. They notice everything. And yeah, it's really important to allow them to, I think childhood is really a time where kids are discovering who they are, their different personalities, but a lot of times parents will have like expectations and then people get into adulthood and they're like, I don't know who I am. I don't know how to respond to this or that. And so I like the way that you said you've created a healthier environment for your son to do that and also know that if something does go wrong, that's a part of life, that he doesn't need to be down on himself or be very critical, that, okay, we'll get through this. Exactly. Yeah. And kids that have that environment are actually more resilient than others who internalize these you know, mistakes or things that they've made or have someone respond to them, have a parent respond to them in a harsh way. So I think it's, I don't have kids, but I could still use this, you know, (laughs) you know, because I have friends that have kids. I have friends that, you know, have things that, you know, happen in childhood. So I think it's a good way to kind of reframe how we really respond to other people. We don't know if we get in a conversation, if they're responding from their five-year-old self, which we have no clue what is going on so we can be more understanding of them right yes definitely okay so the next question is how does interpersonal relationship relationship with others or interpersonal conflict conflict with others affects the brain 
Well, that's, uh, I, I sigh because it does, it, it's so damaging, <laughs> not yeah. only to us, um, but our relationships. And, um, and that, that's that thing when we're, and again, just like you're saying, a lot of it comes from childhood so that it becomes the way our brain is connecting, the way it's firing. But if we're triggered and our brain, you know, we, our brains have evolved to where we have a greater consciousness and ability to process and connect and all of those things basically evolving from a reptilian brain aspect. Like literally, if you just think survival mode, this is about life or death you know, back to the caveman, um, literally there's been a point of evolution, but when we're triggered, when we're reactive, if we're engaging in a fight, if we're, if we're creating it or whether we're responding to something that feels harsh and painful, our executive functioning where we have this higher reasoning and ability to understand and decision-making and all of these things, it literally shuts down. And we're back to that reptilian brain of fight or flight response or freeze response. And it's interesting. I, you know, probably people know, but then maybe they don't, you know, if we think of a conflict, lots of times we're thinking about that mental and emotional intensity but it is doing an incredibly painful number on our bodies too. When we're in that adrenaline and stress cortisol, you know, that's only supposed to be for short blips when the lion really is chasing us. But if we're in constant conflict and having, you know, major confrontations on a regular basis or being, you know, super reactive with our partners or our parents or our kids, it starts to be that our body is just in this stress state on a regular basis. And what that's doing is hijacking the primary functions of our brain and our body to say, I have, you know, I don't care about rest and relax anymore. I don't care about your focus, your memory, your ability to sleep. We've got an emergency to take care of. And so essentially you're weakening yourself from true health and creating disease, disease or dis-ease in the body. And that's where you start to get into, you know, your immune system's down, there's, you know, potential for cancer, your digestion, you know, often doesn't work as well, um, adrenal fatigue, all of these different things. And so the it's such a... It, it's paramount as much as anybody's interested in doing it to try to recognize the more we can help get ourselves regulated and patient and calm and able to manage those emotions, manage our response system, create balance in everyday life. And so we're not in this overwhelm and stress response and conflict. It's, for the health and longevity of life, it, it just can't be overstated the value of it. And that's where, whether it's the brain optimization or whether it's learning new tools, skills, strategies for healthy um, ways of interacting with others, it, it can be a life changer for, for quality and in, uh, in health. That's definitely true. I think a lot of people separate it they think that, oh, conflict they're in doesn't affect their health, but studies have shown that it, it does. If you are around people who you are ambivalent towards or people who you don't trust, it affects your blood pressure and your cortisol levels go up. 
Absolutely. And so I think it's really interesting that the body is responding regardless of what we're thinking is going on. The body is still responding. So I think that really looking at the way that our emotions affect our body, our spiritual health, all of those things, it, like you said earlier, you're talking about the goal is wholeness. And I think that a lot of people like to figure, you know, play with just one area and think that all the rest will fall into place. And that's not true. You have to be intentional in all those areas and not, I'm not saying all at the same time, because like you said, bite sides pieces. So you have to, your goal should be wholeness, not just, you know, improvement in one area. Right. Yes. So what are two ways that listeners can handle conflict and communicate clearly in relationships? Because communication is a big one, a big one that most of us need help with. Right. Um, you know, I think one of, one of the biggest things is to think big picture, keep in mind big picture. And so say for instance, somebody says something and you're, you're drastically triggered and you have this wrong or, you know, this, this response of, oh, there, I asked them to do this project and now they're huffing and puffing and, you know, they're mad and they're angry. And then we start to get caught up in the, in, in how they're doing it. Mm -hmm. I always say, keep your eyes on the big picture and think, what am I feeling? What do I want to feel? And what can I do to create the outcome I need? And so for a lot of us, we lose sight of the fact that the, everybody's not going to do things perfectly as we want in, in the way to get to the final destination. But if we keep our eyes on the final destination and, and really even allow people around us to have a bad moment, to have a difficult, you know, maybe they do have a little bit of an attitude, your kid or your husband or whatever, when you're saying, oh, we've got company coming, we need to do, you know, and there's that scurry. But to keep your eyes on the big picture of what needs to be done, instead of being reactive to every detail along the way that it's, that, that somebody didn't say something perfectly the way you wanted to, or you do know that they were frustrated. Well, okay, let them be frustrated. But if they're still working on it and they're still working towards that bigger picture, then keep your eyes on that. And then when they're done, you can even, you can even be so kind as to say, I know that was kind of hard for you or frustrating. I know that's more my thing than your thing, but thank you. I really appreciate your help. But lots of times we, the big picture is even being accomplished, but next thing you know, we're going back to our kids or our partner and saying, yeah, I didn't appreciate your bad attitude or don't, you know, and it's like, we, we really need to cut each other slack for some of those things along the way that they're just going to do differently. Or maybe they are frustrated, but they're still stepping up to the plate. So, you know, don't beat each other up about those things. Compassion is definitely very important. And like you said, self-compassion. And when you have a lot of people, they just, they project what they do for themselves on others. So if you're compassionate with yourself, hopefully you can be compassionate with others and allow other people to be human. Again, I think it's a tendency, especially in um, people who tend to be or have perfectionist tendencies. I don't like labels. People who have perfectionist tendencies to 
demand perfection, but the thing is that that's not, there is no perfection. You can shoot towards excellence, but there's a difference between excellence and perfection. And so, you know, excellence allows you to allow other people to step up, even though, you know, maybe the first time they do something, they might not do it well. That's part of the human, that's part of the human condition. It's process. And people get better at things with time. And so if someone is trying, berating them is not the best thing to do because they will respond in a negative manner. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. You just broke down the team. Two things people can do to go from self-sabotage to clarity in their lives. You know, I think think the first thing is because we all – we all have this automatic response that if our feelings are hurt or we don't like something is going or went down, it's a tendency to pull away. You know, the brain immediately says, ouch, this hurts, and we start to pull away. And so I, I think it's to ask yourself, is this, whatever you're about ready to say or whatever action you're about ready to take, you know, pulling away from somebody or saying something negative to somebody. It's to, it's to simply ask yourself, is this taking me towards what I want or taking me away from what I want? Because if you ask that self, yourself that question and then you say, okay, I don't, I really don't want to be farther away. What I really need is a hug. And if you then respond in that way, you're, You've totally taken over self-sabotage and, and, and just wiped it out so that you didn't actually do more and more damage. So I would say it's the question of asking yourself, is this taking me towards what I want or away from what I want? And the other thing I think is just consistency. I, I hear so many people, whether it's the workout plan, whether it's the relationship or the diet, whatever it is, and that goes back to you talking about the the perfection uh, perfectionism is if all of a sudden we have the extra cheat meal or we miss the workout or the person doesn't respond exactly like we want so then we're not sure if they're really receiving our our love or our caring then immediately it's like we just plummet and go into this i just can't do this this is no good you know, into those, those self-sabotage messages and actions. And the reality is consistency. If we, I, I'm not sure there's, I mean, you can do almost everything with consistency. And so it's to say, it, 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 so what if you fall off the wagon and you ate two cheat meals or treat meals this weekend? know what your plan is and just pick it right back up the next day. Consistency will equal results. So it's to stay out of extremes and be consistent in being loving anyway, consistent in being patient anyway, consistent in picking that meal plan right back up or getting right back into that workout. When we, when we start to think we're going to that, I'm a failure because I messed up. No, 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 no. Just be consistent and results come in everything. I, I really haven't seen it be any different. My word, I, I, I don't typically do New Year's resolutions, but my New Year, I had a New Year's resolution word and it was consistency. And, you know, I was having an ebb and flow in my workouts and in and even projects and work that I'm not 
are my favorite parts. And it was like consistency, consistency. That's my word for the year. And it has made such a big difference um, that I'm getting so much more done and I'm not losing the time being discouraged or overwhelmed. This is bite-sized pieces every single day. Um, and it adds up. That's true. And I bet it's less stressful. Oh um, <laughs> it's been so much better. <laughs> and again, um, what you're mentioning is, I know they say progress, not perfection, but I think that we really need to change. Well, we can make a change and make a process, not perfection. When you realize that something is a process, if you fall off the wagon for your cheat meal, you're not going to plummet into emotional turmoil. You're like, okay, this is part of the process. There's going to be a day where I eat three cupcakes instead of just one. Okay. (laughs) This is life. I'm going to enjoy these three cupcakes and move along. There's tomorrow. And so I think that, and for me, it's difficult. So I'm not trying to say it's easy. Uh, Process, it's very difficult for me to embrace it because I'm just like, I need to see the result today. Which is not not, uh, how it works. But I think if we look at process not perfection. Like when a child is walking, learning to walk, you don't berate the child, at least normal people don't, while it's crawling and it gets up on the couch and then it tries to take a step towards you. You're not like, why aren't you walking? Like everyone celebrates and they're like, oh my goodness, little baby Johnny is walking towards us or trying to walk. They cheer. So I think that if we take that approach, because it's the same thing, just different, area if we take that approach and we chair or cheer or get people that hold us accountable and cheer for those small those small things that we overlook and don't think are important i think that people would definitely it would make it easier for people to be more consistent and decrease the amount of time people spend discouraged overwhelmed beating up themselves and then reactivating those negative thought processes right Yeah. And, you know, I love that you said that because that's one of the things I am often saying to my clients as well is it's a process, not an event. Mm -hmm. So, you know, along those, those same lines. So what steps can listeners take to move from being an ineffective or even hostile communicator to being a better communicator? Because some people, you know, can be more direct, but some people are just downright hostile when they communicate with others. So if someone is having that issue and they're like, hmm, how do I fix this? What is one or two things they can do to be better? You know, I think the, I think the, the number one thing is, we are too quickly reactive with our technology, with all of a sudden sharing that first emotion and the text to tell everybody, you know, exactly what we think in that moment and, and whatnot. And so I always say it's to ask my, you know, it, whether it's yourself that you need to regulate or whether you've got somebody coming at you pretty fast and furious, it's to say, is this life and death? Is, did somebody just get in a car accident? Is there a hospital I need to go to? Most of the time, the answer is gonna be no. And if that answer is no, almost without fail, we could wait 24 hours before responding. So we're not engaging with them when they're hostile or hyperactive. We're not responding when we're emotional because the reality is, is again, that executive, executive functioning is shutting down in the brain. So we can't even hear each other. And so to pause and reflect on 
you know, ask yourself again those questions. What am I feeling? What am I needing? What do I really want? Then by the time we communicate, we are going to be able to be clear, understanding, and be so much more productive in that conversation. And in the opposite you know, um, aspect, say that, you know, so if it's business or it's a friend by text or, you know, it's, uh, we're adults, but we're dealing with our adult parents and we're triggered with the holidays coming up here and that type of thing. So that process can work, but then let's say, what if it is your spouse or your kid and all of a sudden there's this heated conversation going on? It's to, it's to, to literally, pause again, is this urgent? Do I really need to argue with my spouse right now about that vacation in two weeks or a month? And if the answer is no, this is not a life or death situation, then it's to even say to them, I care about you. I don't have my thoughts in order right now. I don't wanna say anything that would hurt us. So I'm gonna take a time out and I'll be back. You know, We can talk about it at whatever time. Um, lots of times, and then let's, let's dig into that a little bit deeper though. Many people can have that rejection trigger then. So you got one person wanting to, I need to talk about it right now. The other person saying, no, 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 this is going to go bad. We need a timeout. So the thing to do there oftentimes is again, let that person know, I care about you, but I just need to go collect my thoughts and then say, so they don't, you don't hit that panic button of them. Like, but when are you coming back? And are you ever coming back? It's to say, I'll be back in two hours and we'll try to talk about it when we're more calm or we'll talk about it tomorrow or when would be a better time for us to talk about this. So that's the way. And, and, if, and if they won't stop, it's to say, I'm going to walk away. I love you. I care about you too much to argue with you. And, and you just don't engage. That's where we're kind of back to the beginning, what we talked about. It's recognizing to take our own power instead of thinking we can control that other person or even putting the expectation on them that they can control themselves. I mean, all of that is self-care for yourself, but also caring for the relationship so that people don't have to walk away or, or have, have regrets afterwards. It's to, it's to prevent the damage that we can do if we're doing it in the heat of the moment. I think that's really good what you just mentioned. And especially, I never really thought about the rejection trigger. Oh. I never would have thought about that because I don't like conflict. So if I, if I have some sort of conflict and I'm angry, I have to take time away because right. I am responsible for what I say, but I'm not going to regret it. So that's why I have to tell people, look, we need to do this some other time because I know I can be quick. Like you said, you got to pause. Um, I can be quick when I say things and it can be pretty cutting if I, if I don't think about what I'm going to say. But I never really realized that someone else can view that as rejection instead of protection from what crazy is going to come out of my mouth. Exactly. So that is really, really good. I never, now I'll think about that. And then exactly in our society, the news is on constantly. People are just just spewing all sorts of ridiculous emotions out on others and I think that if especially on Twitter or other social media or just in real life if people took 24 hours our society would not be as disturbed and unbalanced as it is and people wouldn't have as many emotional scars from people because a lot of times people will lash out at whoever is closest not the person that actually triggered 
whatever emotion. So I think that that is something that is important, taking that pause. And then if, well, I would assume that if you were in a relationship, hopefully you would have communicated enough to know, I guess it would depend on the stage of the relationship, whether or not that person has a rejection trigger. But also I know that some communication is difficult and that may not be something that's voiced, but taking into account that, hey, my stepping away, this person may view this as rejection, and then sitting there and quantifying, hey, let's revisit this in two hours, or like the example that you gave. Because I think that that is, I think if people just do this pause and wait or give it 24 hours, that we would, I mean, all be more emotionally healthy, feel more stable, be less triggered, our hormones would actually be balanced. So I think that's definitely important. Thanks for bringing that up. I never, that's one I didn't think about. Yeah, you know, real quick, I'll add too, I'll take it to the other, the other side of it, why it can be so important to say when we'll come back together. Because you also have the people who come from those childhoods where they didn't want conflict and you have people who would give a silent treatment for two, three days, seven days at a time. And so it's also to make it that that, so you get people who don't like conflict who will then either endlessly give the silent treatment or just never have the conversation again. So that also becomes a, we're never connecting, we're never solving these things. So it's also to reel them in and say, okay, you get your time out, you get your quiet, but I am gonna be able to count on the fact that in 24 hours, you're gonna try to sit down with me again and we are gonna try to do this. So it can go extreme that way as well. And so it's to try to kind of reel everybody in, in a healthy way, giving them certainty and security about how everybody's gonna come back together and, and try to be a team, try to be a family. And, and come up with solutions. That is a good one too. Silent treatment, yeah. Thanks for covering both extremes because you're right, there are people that will ice you out. I may have a tendency to do this with some people from time to time. But it's good to know I have some areas to work on. <laughs> we all do. Yeah. Uh, endless work in progress. Very true, very true. So where can listeners find out more about you, Raquel? Coaching, it's um, uh, Breaking Barriers Coaching, and that is www.raquelyounglove.com. So R-A-Q-U-E-L-Y-O-U-N-G-L-O-V-E.com. And then for the the brain work, where there's also home rentals or the in-center sessions, that, that website is www.breakthroughneurofeedback. And so that's B-R-E-A-K-T-H-R-O-U-G-H-N-E-U-R-O-F-E-E-D-B-A-C-K.com. And the phone number is 888-908-9490. And then Last but not least, I would like to mention that um, for any listeners who would be interested in services, if they mention this podcast, I will offer 15% off of, off of any services. I would just welcome the opportunity to help anybody who might um, find the services of value to improve their lives. Thanks so much. And do you do virtual coaching too, or is your coaching just in person, or is that just the brain? 
and your feedback? Um, no, I can do all services can be in center or remote. So, I mean, even clients doing the rentals from home, I ship throughout the world. And then also we can do the coaching um, by phone or by Skype as well. So there are really no limits to the ability to help in center or remotely for okay. all things. Okay, good. I wanted to make sure just in case someone's like, hey, I don't live in Colorado Springs. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wealthier Together podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or go to iTunes, subscribe and leave us a review.